0: Hello, this is Congressman Michael Burgess, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Doctor in the House, the podcast that tells you everything you want to know about Congress. And in this series, we're going to tell you everything you always wanted to know about the House Rules Committee. This is the start of this series, and I want to give you a greater understanding of the all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient (laughs) Rules Committee under the direction, of course, of our very wise and reasonable Tom Cole of Oklahoma. So today we're gonna be talking with Mr. Cole. Uh, Besides representing Oklahoma's fourth congressional district, he is the longest serving Native American in Congress. So Tom, I am grateful for your leadership and your dedication to ensuring that all member voices are heard both in the committee and on the floor. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Doctor. It's great to be with you. So Tom has taught me a lot about the importance and the influence of Native Americans in, uh, in the Congress. Uh, there are things I've learned. We've had original jurisdiction rules committees hearings on some of the issues that are critically important to Tom's constituents back in Oklahoma. And again, li- growing up just literally a stone's throw from your district, uh, I've learned a lot because of the, uh, well, just the, the passion with it, which you represent the issues of your state and, and your people.
1: Oh, you're very kind. Obviously, we have a lot of overlapping issues between oil and gas. Uh, we have big agricultural constituencies and uh, common love of the military. So, uh, but obviously uh we have a lot more tribal presence in Oklahoma having been indian territory than texas i used to joke that uh, you didn't really not you specifically but texas didn't know a lot about indians because they'd run most of them up to us i have the comanche nation is actually in my district which of course has a long history uh with texas and uh, so uh yeah, tribes are a big thing major employers and uh Thank you, guys. The largest casino in the world it sits on the Oklahoma-Texas border in my district, and uh, it's uh, run by my tribe, and over 80% of our clientele comes from Texas. Yes, so um, uh, We're delighted to have you.
0: <laughs> We've had that discussion before. You don't want us to change our state laws. That's up to you what you do. <laughs> I understand the reasons why. And here's a, a trivia for people who keep track of this sort of thing. Tom and I are currently some of the longest serving members of Congress. We came in the same year back in 2003, which seems like uh, forever ago. Um, But you know, Tom, when we came in, the majority that we came into was, was pretty slim. It was five or six votes. And even with that narrow majority, we passed a budget in March of that year. We passed all of our appropriations bills under open rules before September 30th, which is the end of our fiscal year, and uh, ended the year with a major reformation of of Medicare. So it was really a very productive year with a very narrow majority, but I I carry that with me in the back of my mind as evidence that you can get big things done if you make it a priority. And of course, that's where the Rules Committee fits in. It's got to be a priority starting at the Rules Committee.
1: That's absolutely true. I mean, as you know, our main job is to shape the legislation, uh, in the interest of the majority, in ways that enhance its prospect of being passed. And, uh, you know, that takes uh, a lot of, we have a pretty fractious conference right now, I think more fractious than we had when you and I arrived here. Uh, and so there's a lot of negotiation that goes in before we even show up at the Rules Committee, and certainly after we produce a product
0: as well. Well, it wasn't just a fractious conference. Uh, the entire Congress was a little bit different. There were such things as conservative Democrats. It's dramatically different.
1: Them. Yeah, there were dozens of, of, of very conservative Democrats. I, I frankly always like to point out uh, how you know the red places have gotten redder and the blue places have gotten bluer. You know, when we arrived, uh, Arkansas has four members of the House. Three of them were Democrats. Both their senators were Democrats. Uh, now they're all Republicans and they're all very conservative. Republicans and when you and I arrived, Connecticut, which has five members, had three Republicans right. in the delegation. They're all Democrats now, and they're all pretty liberal Democrats. Uh, so, uh, you know, the the numbers may look the same, but underneath them, the geographic distribution of seats is dramatically different.
0: And the, yeah, the ideological divides have certainly gotten wider. L- let me ask you something, and you know, going back through the mists of time for for just a minute. Um, You've been on the Rules Committee longer than I have. Uh, what made you want to be on the Rules Committee when you, when you first came to Congress?
1: Well, actually, I didn't particularly want to be on the Rules Committee. Uh, never thought about it. I was very happy with my initial committees. I had the House Armed Services Committee, very important in my district with Tinker Air Force Base, uh, the largest uh, air materiel center in the, in the world, and, uh, the, and Fort Sill, which is home of the field artillery. Uh, I had uh, Ed and Labor, which I actually wanted to be on, University of Oklahoma is in my district, along with four other institutions of higher education. And uh, then I was on Interior, which fit well with the energy sure. interests of, of my state and with Native Americans. So, so I w- thought I was pretty well said. Then I got a call from the speaker's office at the beginning of the second term. Rules, as you recall back then, was an exclusive committee. Right. You could not be on other committees. And um, Speaker Hastard uh, said, Tom, I'd like you to think about going on the rules committee. And I I said something to the effect of, why would I want to do that? Uh, And his immediate response was, that's not the appropriate response, is what he said. Uh, You need to say, yes, sir, Mr. Speaker. But he set up time for me to go see David Dreyer, who was our chairman there, and I talked to other people, and um, uh, David convinced me, he said, I'll I'll let you carry the rule on the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. You'll be the first person that speaks on defense, and you'll also carry defense appropriations. Uh, So I thought I could do what my speaker asked me to do uh, and still look after the interests of my district, Talked to some others, and went there and, and frankly, got a first-class education. I mean, one of the first things you learn on rules is nothing's going on the floor until it comes through rules. So you actually have a broader view of what's going on in all of Congress, and I think you do on any other committee. And I I learned you could uh, fashion those bills, so you couldn't change the direction of the bill. You know, you're not there to undo the work of the members of the majority that have uh, crafted a bill. But I remember one of the things we were very interested in uh, was getting a memorial to the USS Oklahoma, the second largest loss of life at Pearl Harbor after the Arizona is the USS Oklahoma. Over 400 uh, sailors died on that. The two ships between them, we, we had about 2,400 deaths at Pearl Harbor. Uh, two-thirds of them were on those two ships, uh, 1,200 on the Arizona, over 400 on the Oklahoma. And uh, they have been trying for 20 or 30 years to get we we would pay for the memorial. You can raise the money in a place like Oklahoma and Treewood in Texas as well, similar circumstances. But uh, uh, we couldn't get the Navy to pay any attention and give us a piece of land, some appropriate place in Pearl Harbor. And that's pretty important real estate. It's a very active military base, very historic site. Well, uh, having been on the, uh, the Armed Services Committee and carrying the rule for the Armed Services Committee, I went to see Duncan Hunter Sr., who was the chair and explained my dilemma and said, uh, can you put uh, in the manager's amendment, and I will get it through rules, uh, that the Navy has to give us the site within one year of the passage of the NDAA. Uh, and uh, uh, he agreed, and he said, sure, you're my friend. You've been very helpful to me. Uh, we put it in in rules, and uh, lo and behold, three days later, I had three admirals in my office explaining to me why they had always intended to do this. And I said, well, now you have one year. Uh, and one year later, it didn't take a year, they designated a spot. If you walk to where the Missouri's at, uh, you'll uh, actually walk right by the Oklahoma Memorial because the Missouri sits about where the Oklahoma went down and capsized. So that was the use of the committee in a very particular way. And uh, there are odd things like that you can do on that committee. Uh, and, and, again, you're going to have your fingerprints on everything in Congress if it's
0: important to you. Yes, sir. Well, congratulations. That's a big deal. I, it I it was one of the
1: proudest that. moments of my life. Uh, I got to go out to the dedication um, uh, Linda Lingle was the governor. She'd been a client of mine when I was a political consultant. And so I got to spend the night at the governor's mansion, uh, went out to, with the governor and her entourage because she was speaking at the new memorial sure. as well. So, yeah, it was, but the, the wonderful thing about it was to have uh, survivors that were there. Uh, and all these gentlemen were uh, in their, uh, you know, later 70s, early 80s, and what it meant to them finally had that memorial for their shipmates and, uh, uh, you know, what had been a very dramatic moment in their lives. Uh, you know, it just, it was, uh, you know, every now and then you get to do the right thing in Congress, and it's uh, it's pretty wonderful when it, when it works.
0: When it all comes together. Well, an interesting part of, of, of your history is now the Rules Committee is not an exclusive jurisdiction, and I don't think it started with your chairmanship, but but prior... Now you have members. I mean, I'm on Energy and Commerce. You're on Appropriations. And we both sit on the we both sit on the Rules Committee. Uh,
1: you know, I, well, I want to give credit to our mutual friend and your fellow Texan, um, Pete Sessions, who I think was one of the most consequential uh, Rules Committee Chairman of all time because he made two very important changes. That was one of them. I remember uh, when I was asked to come back, as you were, I think, in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pete calling me and asking me to do it. And uh, uh, he said, you know, we're changing this and because I want expertise from the committees on my committee. So you would be from Energy and Commerce, and that has vast uh, jurisdiction. I'd come from appropriations. And Um, And so I was willing to do it. It was a lot of extra work, but uh, uh, I enjoyed my time. The second thing he did, of course, was change the clock. Uh, In the old days, uh, when I was on the Rules Committee, we had a pretty strict five minutes, uh, both for the witnesses and for the members of the Rules Committee asking questions. Uh, Pete made the decision, while we would keep that rule, we would essentially suspend it and and let members uh, and witnesses talk as long as they wanted to. Uh, and that lowered the temperature, I think, quite a bit. I mean, we have the, the majority has enormous advantages on that committee in a nine to four, um, you know, kind of uh, configuration. So we're going to, you know, unless something goes incredibly wrong, going to win uh, every vote. But letting the minority vent and make their case, uh, and uh, and frankly, letting the members really drill down if they wanted to. Uh, among the people testifying, which are almost always other members of Congress, um, I thought uh, were two really big changes that Pete made that, that changed the nature of the committee, uh, and much to the better, in, in my view.
0: Both of those were were excellent changes, and Pete Sessions gets all the credit. Sure enough, and. Uh, When I first came here, the Rules Committee didn't even start meeting until 11, 12 o'clock at night. It was kind of a mystery. You had to go to the Capitol. The moon was out. The bats were flying around. (laughs) And uh, and then the Rules Committee comes in (laughs) and meets. But um, we we tend to do things in the daytime. And, again, that was a change that Mr. Sessions engineered. And I think that has also been a healthy healthy change. No question. Uh, Let let me just ask you, because, of course, uh, we're both on other very important committees, and you, you've you already made this point, it is an, in, an incredible amount of work, and yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I'll shoulder that burden, uh, you don't get a lot of credit for, for doing that, but I feel when major legislation comes to the floor, I feel like I've had a briefing from the chairman and ranking member of the full committee on why this bill is important and why it's important the way it is. And I'll say that was even true. We were in the minority last year. We were the we were the four as, a, as opposed to the nine, which we are now. We lost every vote and lost it badly. But I would just submit if it worked for us and that ability to talk uh, during the rules committee, A lot of the big things in the reconciliation bills would have never had a hearing. They would have never had an airing for the American public. So for people who are interested enough to follow the rules on C-SPAN, it's an opportunity to learn things that you'll learn nowhere else.
1: No, that's absolutely true. And, you know, we, number one, have, as you know, a superb staff ourselves. But they have at their disposal the staffs of every committee in Congress because nobody's anything to the floor of consequence without going through the Rules Committee. So our staff, a reporter mentioned this to me that uh, uh, works for the Oklahoma, the largest newspaper in Oklahoma, and has been there he's been a political reporter since the 80s, so we've known one another a very long time. And he made the point uh, because he follows the Rules Committee since I sit on it, he said, boy, the stuff your staff turns out is like not talking points, it's really good. And I said well, the staff is good, but again they have working with them the best staff uh, that we have, uh, you know, all across the Congress. So the level of information that flows into your office as compared to a member in any other area uh, is just phenomenal. Uh, the quality of it, the depth of it, and I think Rules Committee, by necessity, are, you know, sort of uh, jacks of all trades, maybe masters of none, although now we are because you're you're a master of the area you're in. But, again, you're exposed so much more uh, to what's going on in Congress than any other
0: committee is. Absolutely, and um, you know, I also have to bring up that it was another Texan who actually gave us basically the current structure of the Rules Committee. People ask, "Why do you have nine majority members, four minority members?" And it was uh, Sam Rayburn who expanded the committee back in 1961 because he was concerned. I guess the rules committee behaved a little differently back then. It wasn't so much a speakers committee and things could go to the rules committee to die. And his concern was John Kennedy had just been elected and was going to be a fairly activist president and he didn't want all the legislative efforts to, to die in the Rules Committee, which well, historically had been... Well, particularly on the
1: segregation issue. I mean, it was dominated by uh, long-serving uh, uh, Southerners, mostly Democrats, frankly. Uh, well, you know, again, they, they were the, seemed like a permanent majority back then. Yes. Uh, and the reality is uh, a, lot of, a lot of important uh, initiatives were held up by Southerners, particularly civil rights uh, uh, stuff. So that had a lot to do with change. And then it changed into the Speaker's Committee really in the 70s. Uh, you know, they were the Watergate class coming in, broke the independent power and, and basically put it in the speaker's hand because the speaker now, you know, again, directly appoints nine members. We don't go through as you did to get to your committee, I did to get to my committee, a steering process where you're competing to try and get on energy and commerce or ways and means or probes. Uh, those are much sought after positions. In this case, you're selected by the speaker for his purposes. Uh, and you can be dismissed. And I've seen members that uh, voted against the speaker and uh, they weren't there the next meeting. Uh, so the, the power is still there. Now, again, our speaker, and I'm, we'll probably get into this, has structured the Rules Committee in a very different way than any previous speaker has. It's much more a reflection of the conference today than it's ever been in my time here. Uh, and it's not an automatic tool of the speaker in quite the same way it was until uh, Kevin McCarthy became the speaker.
0: Well, it, it, that's that's a very good point. With a narrow majority that we have, um, <laughs> let's be honest, you're going to have these fights. You're going to either have them in the, in the committees of jurisdiction or the rules committee or on the floor. And, uh, yeah, some of them will actually now, it's, we've moved upstream a little bit. We'll have some of those fights in the rules committee or just prior to the rules committee Instead of having a, a a floor fight, which it might have been another
1: time. Yeah, and th- to be fair to the speaker, this is part of his vision across the board. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, you know members of every facet of our conference house, Freedom Caucus, Main Street. Uh, Tuesday Group Governance Coalition uh, Problem Solvers scattered across different committees now, and so um, that wasn't always true around here. And and our committee now reflects that. Uh, and you're exactly right. Uh, the speaker's feeling is if you're going to have a problem, it's better to have it early, yeah, because uh, you can quite often negotiate these things out, uh, and you hear the point of view and. Um, Uh, You know, again, these things are easier to deal with in committee than they are on the floor. Once it's on the floor, it's a live round. People are dug in. It's hard to move things around. So I think this has actually served uh, the conference very, very well. Uh, And again, people can't complain, well, there's nobody that thinks like me on that committee. Well, actually, there is now. And uh, that's, uh, you know, we've had some real successes, the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, the uh, debt ceiling deal. Partly because I think uh, McCarthy has spread out the power and the members across the committee more, uh, and that's uh, it. Makes it for a
0: bumpy ride sometimes, yes. but uh, I tell you what, it's worked pretty well. Yeah, the Limit, Save, and Grow Act, which was the lead-in to the to the debt limit resolution, was really a, it was a critical on that on that passage and gave the Speaker so much more flexibility in his negotiations with the President. And I know people complain about the final product, but let's be honest, you and I've been here for a while. We've seen these types of fights before. When the party in the House is different from the party in the Senate and the party in the White House, there's a limited range of motion that you have. And they do hold all of the Trump cards. And the fact that Speaker McCarthy was able to get the wins that he did, Really, it all began in the Rules Committee with being able to hold together and and put that product out there.
1: Uh, Absolutely did. And, uh, again, there's a lot of forces at work uh, inside the the Rules Committee because it's not just the 13 of us or the nine in the majority. The reality is, uh, you know, in the amendment process, for instance, we're interacting with all of our various conferences uh, within our caucuses, within our conference We're interacting with all the leadership offices who will have different points of view. Uh, They're talking to members. So, uh, you know, again, it's um, in the old days, basically the orders came from the speaker's office and that's what happened. Now we have more interchange and interaction with more offices and more members than ever before. And again, it can make for a contentious process, but it usually makes for a a consensus process uh, in a
0: way that works. And it's just uh, again, you're right. Once it gets to the floor, it is uh, that can be a very di- difficult and dangerous situation. And we've all seen it on both parties where things have not gone according to plan. And, and you do want to uh, you do want to limit those types of episodes. Um, you know, just on a, <laughs> on a on a personal note, I want to say that uh, you know, having served on. I guess my my ten years on the Rules Committee. I've been in both the majority and the minority. Majority is better than the <laughs> minority. Uh, but I just really I, I want to compliment you on your on your style and how you are able to interact with uh, Ranking Member McGovern. He was Chairman of McGovern in the last Congress. Personally, I find him very very difficult to deal with sometimes. But you uh, you manage to keep a very even keel as we navigate those waters, and uh, it's not unnoticed at least by by me that you are you're very skillful in that uh, much more skillful sometimes than I think I would be well I, I,
1: you're vice chairman for a reason, so you certainly have a skill set to do anything you care to do. Um, Jim and I do have a good relationship uh, while we differ philosophically, um, you know very dramatically because he is a very proud, progressive uh, Democrat, um, you know, and I'm pretty typical conservative Republican from Oklahoma. But I think we both revere the institution. We found some things we can work together on, authorization for the use of military force, uh, something where we think uh, together the Congress has given up uh, way too much of its uh, war-making authority to the executive branch, be it Republican or Democrat. Uh, so there are those occasional things that, that we can find where we do get together. We tried to be, when he was the uh, speaker, helpful to him when he wanted to have a hearing on hunger or yes. things like that, where he has a very great passion. Uh, and so, uh, again, I think uh, there's a genuine uh, respect for one another. He respects the institution. He respects the committee. Uh, And so, you know, we got quite a few compliments during, of all things, the impeachment efforts against President Trump, because we certainly fought uh, hard and had very different points of view on our side of the aisle, our four versus their nine. Uh, But uh, it was always civil. Uh, There was never yelling. People weren't pandering to the camera. There weren't stunts. Uh, You know, it was it was conducted professionally, but it was certainly pretty hard-hitting, uh, and uh, we didn't hold any punches back. We felt like uh, both those impeachment efforts were inappropriate, uh, and, uh, you know, impeaching a guy when he's not even in office anymore is, is, is sets some sort of new standard. Uh, but, uh, uh, again, it was always done in a, in a civil way, and uh, they've continued to do that in the minority, which I appreciate. They they could act differently, but uh, I think they handled themselves well in the minority in, in a way that I thought we handled ourselves
0: well when we were in the minority. Well, listen, it's, uh, it's an honor to serve with you. Uh, Rules Committee, I think, uh, in this Congress has really almost reached a pinnacle uh, where more people are aware of the Rules Committee now than, than ever before. Hats off to you for, for making that possible and for taking on that that tough job that the speaker asked you to many many years ago, it is an incredible amount of work on top of a an incredible workload you already had on the appropriations side of the of the of the of the house. Um, thanks for doing what you're doing, and America is better for having you there. And I know certainly my my time, my service in Congress has been improved by having someone such as yourself at the helm.
1: Well, that's very fulsome praise. And let let me turn it back because you're there for all the hours I'm there and quite often are sitting in if I get pulled out to some meeting or something. And I know how significant the work you have always done on energy and commerce uh, is. And the fact that, again, you volunteered to do this job. You stuck with it, not just when we were in the majority. It's not very fun in the minority. Uh, You're gonna lose every vote. And you, but you do make the first public arguments on the bill and you can ask some questions again. Thanks to Chairman Sessions, you got as much time to probe as you want to. So you can dig into these bills in a way that uh, before he made that change was not possible. And we have members now that have more knowledge in specific areas than the old rules committee did who were only doing rules. Uh, so. Uh, that that's made a tremendous difference. Uh, I appreciate your service uh, at least as much as you appreciate mine. And uh, we've walked a, a long road together, having arrived at the same time, now been here over 20 years together, and nobody I admire more in Congress, Doctor, than you.
0: Well, you're, you also are, are, are very kind. I just want to thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your leadership on the committee. I appreciate the insight you've been willing to uh, share with listeners. I'm going to cue the dramatic music and ask listeners to look forward to the very next episode of Doctor in the House, wherever you get your podcasts, never miss an episode.